Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Hear now God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and carries nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, thank you for a great reading this morning. Um, <clears throat> welcome to Trinity. My name is Jonathan, and I, I get to serve as a pastor of this church. Welcome to any and all of you who may be new or may be new to Christianity. I get to uh, say welcome to two special guests who are new. My sister over here, and her name is Katie, and her husband Alex are here. They're from the East Coast, and so first-time guests, and I get to embarrass you. So we've had a great week together. They've never visited San Diego, and so we have taken them everywhere, eaten every taco we could, been to Torrey Pines and done it all. So welcome to you guys. Um, welcome to all of you. We are a church. Just let me just mention who we are as a church and what we value one of the things that we value at our church is making followers of Jesus. Our vision statement says that Trinity exists to make and mature followers of Jesus for the good of others. And we want to be a church that's thinking consistently about following. We believe that there's probably nothing more significant in this moment of confusion than to say, who is Jesus? Who is he really? 
and to get past some of the debris that maybe you carry into church, some of that cultural debris. Uh, this concept of deconstructing faith is kind of swirling around us. It's probably part of the circles that you're swimming in. If you have been part of the church, let me say there's something really good about deconstruction. Sometimes we have carried so much baggage that we need to get back to the simplicity of Christianity, which is a relationship with Jesus that changes everything and gives me purpose. And the purpose is to live for the good of other people. Not so that I can get God's affection, but because I already have God's affection, I'm going to live with purpose. I'm going to live with meaning. So sometimes you actually do need to deconstruct some of the things that are part of your past and able to live fully in the present. We encourage that. We want to be a church that welcomes questions. And as we do that, we're going through John. We're now in chapter 10 and getting to what is potentially a familiar chapter if you've been in and around the church, but it may be unfamiliar if you're not. But let me give you two thoughts to prepare us and then we'll jump in. Number one, there is such importance in knowing the heart of God for you. There is tremendous significance in knowing not just God's heart. It's one thing to know the character of God. Maybe I can list a few things about the character of God. But what about God's heart for you? What comes to mind for you? What are the mental images and pictures? Maybe you've been in the church for a season. Maybe you've been in the church your whole life. And maybe when you're asked this question, let's consider the heart of God for you, there's all these mental asterisks You're saying, yeah, yeah, I know that God is loving, but does God actually like me? I mean, I know characteristically that he's described as a God of mercy and kindness, but like, how do I fit into this picture? God is a God of mercy, but I bet he is pretty tired of doling out grace and mercy and compassion to me again and again. When we don't fully understand or we don't believe the heart of God for you, What it leads to is all layers of confusion and manipulation and insecurity and identity confusion. There's all these things that happen. So we want to rediscover in part through this incredible chapter about Jesus as shepherd, the heart of God for you. Secondly, the truth of John 10 means that you have a shepherd. Here's how one writer put it. Christianity is not merely being saved from sin and death and judgment. It's at least that. It also means having a living shepherd to guide you and feed you and heal you and protect you and to help you love. We want to open you to, I think, what maybe is a a fuller expression of Christianity. I meet a lot of people who say that they are Christians, but then you don't see the fruit of it. You don't see the joy of it. I'm not minimizing the fact that as Christians, we walk through very difficult things. But am I being shepherded? Is there a connection? Do I know the heart of God for me as I move through the difficult things of life? God has not only given his son for you so that we can conceptualize of forgiveness and justification and what's coming after this life ends. Yes, he's accomplished that, but you have a shepherd. And in a, in a moment of a void, of really healthy, honest, integrity, uh, courageous-filled leadership, wouldn't you say, I want to rediscover the heart of God for me? So John chapter 10, I'm going to take you through three things. The shepherd's relationship to the sheep is one of, number one, familiarity, number two, dependence, and number three, affection. So we're going to look at familiarity, dependence, and affection, all about the shepherd's relationship with the sheep. So let's look again at verse 1. 
Verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now here in this beautiful chapter, an incredible section where Jesus is going to have an extended teaching on the role of shepherds and sheep. I want you to notice that right up front, he brings our attention to this concept of counterfeit shepherds. Jesus calls them thieves, and he calls them robbers in verse 1. And then a little bit later in the conversation, near the end, he calls them wolves. So we have thieves, we've got robbers, we've got wolves, and we've got a true shepherd. And the characteristic that separates the true shepherd from the thieves and the robbers is this theme of a relational dynamic between the two. Jesus says that anyone who does not enter by the sheepfold, the sheepfold by the door, he is a robber and he is a thief. See, they try to create access by some other way. And what Jesus is also saying through this text is there is no other way. There's no other way in. See, in a moment, he's going to get to the simple fact. He goes, I'm the door. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. There is no other way into this thing called the abundant life. But I'm jumping ahead. In distinction to the thieves and the robbers, the shepherd is someone who, first of all, is known by the gatekeeper. All right, stay with me for a moment on this illustration. Think about the gatekeeper. We're trying to take you back to the ancient Near East for a moment. I don't picture this very well, but there's this guy in the story. He's called the gatekeeper, and we have the shepherd. These are two different people. The gatekeeper for me is the bouncer, all right? So he's at the gate. He's hanging out. We got all the sheep. It's a Friday night. They're looking good. They've been cut up. They got a nice tight fade. They've been brought into the sheepfold. They're hanging out with their homies. There's a bunch of people in the sheepfold. A lot of different, not people, a lot of different sheep in the sheepfold. The gatekeeper is the guy at the door. He's the guy at the gate. But there's a mix going on here, right? So you have a gatekeeper who's the one who's paying attention to all the shepherds who've gone to a different club and they're hanging out on their own. We've got the sheep over here in this club. We've got all these people hanging out. That's kind of what I want you to picture is a mixing of sheep. How are you going to be able to pay, the difference? pay attention to the difference? Whose is whose? We're going to get to that. The gatekeeper, he walks up. He's standing there. Now the shepherd comes to go, come and receive his sheep and he doesn't need an ID. He's got VIP status. What the text tells us is that the gatekeeper knows the shepherd, right? He's seen them drop off his sheep, and he's gone out, and he's come back. It says that the gatekeeper sees the shepherd, and he welcomes them in. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls them. Now continue to picture this scene. You got sheep from multiple shepherds. They're all sharing one space. How would you be able to tell them apart? I'm not a farmer. Most of you are not as well. And so you come into a big sheep pen that's filled with sheep from multiple shepherds. How are you going to be able to tell the difference? The text tells us that the sheep hear his voice. 
It's almost as if you can picture parents in the room with lots of children, and you hear the child cry out mom or dad, and mom or dad are tuned to the ear of their children. How did you know that was your child? Because I know my children's voice. This is what's kind of being pictured here. There's all these sheep, and it says, how are you going to be able to pay the, dip, pay the, the difference, tell the difference between which one's yours? It says that he can hear their voice, but not just that. They hear him call their name. This is important. The sheep hear him call their name. See, amidst all of this chaos, he calls his own sheep by name, and they hear their name being called, and it says that they follow the shepherd. See, this is the theme of familiarity. There is tremendous power in somebody calling your name. Kurt Thompson, he's a medical doctor and a writer. He says, we all are born into the world looking for someone looking for us, and we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. When somebody is looking for you and they call your name, this is tremendously powerful in our lives, and when that person is of great relational value to you, their calling of your name means so much more. Let me give you an illustration. Many of you are familiar with a writer, pastor, preacher. He's one of my great heroes. His name is Timothy Keller. Most of you are familiar with Tim Keller. He was a pastor in New York City for many years. But one of the unique things for my wife and I is that I got to go to seminary with Tim's son, Michael. So Michael is one of my closest friends. Michael also lives in New York City, and when we were in the city of Boston, so before living in San Diego, our family lived in Boston, we were hosting this big conference. And it was a big regional conference. It was going to be right downtown in the middle of the city at a beautiful uh, location. And I got to be the speaker keeper for Tim Keller, all right? So I'm getting to, to kind of rub shoulders with one of my theological heroes and preaching heroes. Man, I'm a little peon, of course. I'm still a little peon. It doesn't matter. I just thought it was pretty cool to be able to hang out with Michael's dad. I tried to treat him like Michael's dad. How would he treat my dad, right? If my dad was in his presence, he kind of wouldn't bow down and go, we love you, Tim Keller. But just kind of treat him like my, my friend's father, but also realize this is kind of cool. I get to spend time with him. I get to kind of usher him from place to place, meal to meal. And then I also realized that my role in his life during that conference was essentially what? Nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing. I bore no significance to Tim Keller during this conference. And so at the end of my time as his speaker keeper, he stayed for like 12 hours. He flew in. He flew out. I was getting him to a taxi and kind of sending him back to the airport. And as I had kind of packed him up, sent him on his way, I was walking back into the conference center. He had his bags in the taxi, and he stopped and stood back up, and he called my name, Jonathan, thank you so much. And that's why I love Tim Keller, right? <laughs> he knows my name, okay? He knows my name. But there's tremendous power, no? Like when somebody that you love and care about, if there's all this relational clout and relational value, they see you and they call your name. Jonathan, thank you. We are all, each one of us, born into this world looking for someone who's looking for us, waiting for someone to call our name. And I think that's why the playground as children can either be so formative or so scarring. Because you're just waiting for somebody to say, I want you on my team. I call your name. Each of us remember being called first or the tragedy of being called last. 
Is anybody looking for me? Does anybody want me? Does anybody value me? The theme of engagement for women, and I would guess also for men, is just as significant because somebody's going to call your name. You, beautiful person, lovely to me, will you be my wife? Can I be your husband? You have called my name. You want to live with me forever. And then, of course, this concept of social media. I think it carries such spiritual power because every like is as if somebody is what? Calling your name. They're saying you're a value. I like you. I give you worth. I give you attention. I give you my focus. It's like somebody's consistently calling our name. Psalm 139, 15 and 16, let's read this together. It says, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. This says he knows you. This is the point. He knows you. Listen to Psalm 100. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See, this is the power of familiarity. Now, some of you may object and be thinking to yourself, well, of course God knows my name. You know Tim Keller's name. You know Michael Jordan's name. You know Justin Bieber's name. You know all these people's name. I just gave you some of my heroes. All right, don't judge. Right? These are people that I love. These are names that I know. You may be thinking to yourself, God knows my name. He doesn't know much else. There's not much familiarity. He's God. Of course he knows my name. But from my life and my story and my history, it doesn't seem as if he really knows me or if he really cares about me. What this text is telling us is that God knows your IQ. He knows your height. He knows your weight. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows everything about your life. But he knows the darkness. He knows the shame He knows the fantasies that you hide. And what he does is amidst all of that darkness, all of that sin, he still calls your name. That's what this text is telling you. And he is a shepherd who is coming after his sheep. He knows everything. And he goes, you, 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 I know you. Jonathan, right, come and be a part of this life. Look briefly at verses 14 and 15. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We're not going to get to talk much about this. Circle it and go back to it. In this astounding section of Scripture, Jesus is telling us that in the same way that he's familiar with the Father, he's familiar with you. And you have the potential of being as familiar with him. He goes, in the same way that my father and I connect, in the same way that he calls my name, in that exact same intimacy that we have had from creation and from eternity, that same dynamic, I'm working into your life. You can know me. I know you. Is this the type of person that you invite into your life from time to time? Or is this the person you say, shepherd all of me? I give it all to you, right? Familiarity. Let me take you to part two, dependence. The shepherd's relationship to the sheep is one of dependence. Look at verse six. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Maybe it's confusing to you as well. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, as I've mentioned, most of us do not have a lot of experience with sheep or tending sheep, myself included, but I want you to listen to one commentator's description of the character of sheep. Here's what he writes. He says, among the animal kingdom, sheep seem to have come out on the short end. From all accounts, they are of limited intelligence. When it comes to finding food, they are definitely uncreative. As creatures of habit, they will follow paths through desolate places, even though not far away is excellent forage. Sheep are also given to listless wandering. There are even accounts of their walking into an open fire. Come on. Shepherds confirm that they are timid and stubborn. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous things, though at other times nothing can move them. They are absolutely defenseless. There is no way a sheep can defend itself. I've mulled on that all week, just thought about that sheep, man. What can they do to defend themselves? Nothing. Furthermore, of all the animals subject to husbandry, they take the most amount of work. Man, I love the image. Like there's food right there, but this guy's like, I always go this way. I'm going this way. And the guy, shepherd's like, like, just go this way. Look what's over here. Like, it's a feast for you. And he's like, no, no, I like going this way. Oh, that's hot. Let's go right into the fire. It just seems like that's a description of my heart too. That's who we are. Notice that when the Bible describes humanity, it doesn't say we're like lions, tigers, and bears. It doesn't say that we're like beautiful gazelle. It doesn't say that we're like, uh, I don't know, elephants or sharks. It describes us as sheep. We are like this guy. His name is Chris. (laughs) Have you guys found Chris yet? This is the sheep that set the world record for the most amount of wool, the most amount of fleece or whatever they call it. He, they shaved off 89.2 pounds of wool off my man here. Okay, this is Chris the sheep. I believe he was found in Australia. Amazing. The Bible says you and me are like Chris. This is who we are. I like this guy. We're like Chris. And while we are sheep, here Jesus refers to himself as the door or the gate for the sheep. In the ancient Near East, it was pretty common for a sheepfold to have four walls. It seems pretty normal. It has four walls. You put the sheep inside. One of those walls has an opening. We would call it a door. Kind of picture it like this room. Look around this room. We've got four walls, but then you go this direction, and there's a big opening. Let's picture it a little bit smaller, and there's no gate. In the ancient Near East, the shepherd would lay across the opening. He would ensure that the sheep were safe. If any sheep was going to leave, they're going to walk across his body. If any wolf's going to come in, it's going to cross the shepherd. And see, Jesus understood this. The people understood this. And Jesus says, I am the living gate. If anything's going to come into your world, it's going to pass through me. And if you want to go out, you got to walk over my body. I am the living gate. I'm the way in. I'm the way out. I'm the door. I'm the promise. I'm the provision. I'm the security. I'm the security system. I'm laying at the gate. It is very familiar to them. And this is what Jesus is describing. He says, I'm the living door. The thief, on the other hand, remember, he comes to what? Not protect the sheep. 
He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But as the gate for the sheep, as the provider and protector, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And of course, this has caused tremendous confusion historically. What is Jesus saying in this verse? This expression does not mean long life. It does not mean material prosperity. He's talking about a unique, qualitative kind of life, the kind of life that's worth living. That's about a whole lot more than money and accomplishment. That's about the best kind of soul satisfaction. Is that the life you want? It's not about money. It's not about stuff. It's about soul satisfaction. It's about abundant life, quality of life. Jesus says, that's found in me. It's only found in me. And this begs the question, this is so important, what's your gateway? What's your entry point for the abundant life? What's your gateway? What relationship, which person, which place or set of circumstances, which habits or investments are you banking on for that deep satisfaction of spirit? Counterfeit solutions, man, they always talk a big game. At first, they seem to demand nothing and provide everything. Write that down. Counterfeit solutions to your soul talk a big game. At first, they demand nothing, and they promise to provide everything. But sooner or later, it does not take that long for them to demand everything and provide nothing. And let me give you an example. Public opinion. Let's talk about public opinion. Lots of versions of that, but let's talk about the public's opinion of you. See, you were made for community. And you were made for encouragement. These are biblical things. You're made for other people and you're made for praise. You're made to be able to say, I'm worth being here. People speak value into my life. But what happens when those things essentially get crosswired, mishardwired? Those things begin to be manipulated so that you have a preoccupation with what other people say and think about you. See, at first, praise works, doesn't it? And it's like a little high, it's like a little drug. There's the flattering to it. This feels good. I kind of found my people. I fit in with this community. They're saying things about me and to me. They love it when I'm present. They respect me. I found my niche. I found my groove. These are the people I want to spend time with. All of the affirmation. Man, it does not matter if you're a middle manager, if you're a CEO, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a student. We are all living and looking for somebody who's going to call our name. And all of a sudden, our minds and lives have become preoccupied with what other people are saying about us. You know how this works. Pastors are not immune from this. Each of us think about the people around us and what they are saying or what they're not saying. We are resilient. Life feels abundant until... Something always shifts in our heart, every time. And I actually think it looks a little bit like a question, and the question is this. What's going to happen when I lose the praise of these people? What is going to happen when they stop calling my name? Which way is this life going to go? And so we work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen, and slowly but surely, we have gone from being in charge to being slaves. See, because at first, our idols, these affirmation mechanisms, they seem to demand nothing and give everything, but over time, they always demand everything and give nothing. If you build a life around public opinion, 
seeking the abundant life through what other people are going to say about you, ultimately you're going to find the exact opposite. This is what the scriptures teach. Establish your sense of self through money or through accomplishments or through sexuality or through the romantic love partner, and in time, you will find yourself a slave, a slave to that thing rather than being served by it. The, the thief, right, the wolf in sheep's clothing comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but Jesus has come to provide life and life abundant. Let me wrap this part up by saying your heart is always depending on something. Your heart is always depending on something. It's not a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. It's a human thing. You place your faith in something. You're depending on it to give you a sense of identity, sense of meaning, sense of purpose. The only question you have to answer as a human being is, who will I allow, what will I allow to shepherd my heart? And Jesus says, you want the abundant life? Let me have it. Right? Come to me. Dependence. Because we're Chris. Because we're sheep. Let me take you to the third part. Familiarity, dependence, and then lastly, affection. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Here's a good question. Like, how do I really know that Jesus is a good shepherd? How do I know he's really good? And he gives us a description. The answer comes down to the difference between a hired hand and an owner. Really, the the renter's mentality and an owner's mentality. The hired hand is not invested in the project. She checks in last minute. She checks out right at 5 o'clock. She doesn't care about this. This is a paycheck for her. The sheep are not personal. There's nothing uniquely significant about the work and about the job. This is a hireling. This is somebody who's there just to put food on the table. They don't care about the project. Right? They don't care about what it's going to mean to other people. This is literally a transaction, in and out. And Jesus goes, that's not my heart for you. You want to know my heart for you? That's not it. I have an owner's heart for you. The owner is personally invested in the sheep because they are his. He owns them. They recognize his voice. And because they are his, when danger approaches, what does the text say? That the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John Piper writes, he says, the hired hand loves his life more than the sheep. But Jesus loves his sheep more than his life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the word good, let's stay there for just a moment, it doesn't simply mean morally respectable or ethically noble. It often means beautiful, like the beautiful shepherd. Do I find beauty in who Jesus is? Is he just useful to me? This is how you know your heart is getting soft. Is Christianity just useful to me, or is Jesus becoming beautiful to me? You feel the difference? Man, Jesus, I'm in a jam. I need you to help me out. He will do that. He is a helper. But is he beautiful to you? What if he doesn't get you out of that jam in your timing and in your way? Will you still value him? Is he beautiful to you? This is what this word is after. He's not just morally good. He's not just ethically noble. He's beautiful. 
right? The gospel being beautiful. Jesus is saying that as your good shepherd, it's actually his calling. It's actually his vocation. He is the good shepherd. This is what the good shepherd does. It's at the top of the list. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's his absolute desire to protect you from the wolves of sin and death and God's wrath against our sin. It's his joy to save your life by giving up his life. This is the heart of the shepherd for you. And this is why Christianity isn't just useful, it actually is beautiful. Let me take you to two more pictures. This is a picture of what's called a cast sheep. This is not just a guy who's had a hard night. This is something that actually happens to sheep. It's a cast sheep. And a cast sheep is one that is rolled over on its back and it can't roll back to its feet. See, I told you sheep are ridiculous, right? This guy is on flat terrain. His legs can't move well enough to get him back over. Oftentimes, it's because his wool coat has gotten thick. He's on flat terrain, and he's stuck. And when this happens to a sheep, they often die within 24 hours, not just because something comes and gets them, but because of the internal physiology. The in, this is too much information, all right? I studied this week. There's, there, there is an inability to release a certain amount of gas in their stomach, And so they get stuck in this position, and they usually die within 24 hours, unless somebody intervenes. And I want you to see that Jesus, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and you're the sheep, and I know you. And as you come to know him, you're going to learn his voice. And he says, I don't just come back to roll you back onto your feet and send you on your way. See, what the gospel tells us is that he actually frees us from pending death by laying down his own life in the place of vulnerability. This is why it's more beautiful. Ah, Pick me up, Jesus. Send me on my way. He goes, no, no, I'm going to pick you up. But in order to set you free, I've got to be captured. Right? For you to be liberated, I've got to go to the cross. I have to give up my life for you. He pays the penalty while we reap the reward. The sinless one gets punished while sinners get to go free. Read Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that the type of shepherd that you want? But in a moment of a void of leadership that you want to get behind, Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the beautiful shepherd. I'm useful. I will help you. But I'm beautiful because I've laid down my life for you. I want you to know my heart. The heart of God for you is what changes your life. It's what changes your affections. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you haven't felt much. I want you to go back. I want you to read John 10 this week. I want you to spend time thinking about God's heart for you. Think about my man, Chris. (laughs) And think about the fact that you are a wanderer. And that he says, I will lay down my life for you. No matter what you show me, no matter what I've seen, I'm calling your name. You feel that? He's calling your name. Come on back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we admit that there are a lot of barriers to believing this text and to really embracing your heart for us. I know that there are people in this room who do not believe that Jesus is, in fact, a good shepherd. Their life 
has been hard. Your life has been hard. Maybe it feels as if Jesus isn't an owner. He's a hired hand. And you're not convinced that what he's offering is abundant life. Lord Jesus, through your spirit, would you be sensitive with those wounds that we carry? We're all wandering sheep. We're not victorious lions. Lord Jesus, we are wandering. We can't defend ourselves. We roll over, and unless somebody intervenes, we get lost. We could die. We're so vulnerable to the elements. We're vulnerable to false truth. We're vulnerable because our identities are shallow. We're vulnerable because of the wounds inflicted by our mothers and our fathers. We're vulnerable because we rejected at work. We're vulnerable because somebody has said no to us again and again and again. We're vulnerable because nobody's called our name. But you do. And that voice of love has the ability to cover over the woundings in our lives. So, oh, Spirit, give us the ability to recognize your voice. Maybe that's simply it. We don't know the voice of the shepherd. So speak loudly to us again. May the word of God speak of your heart for us. And may that lead us into a new experience of life and life abundant. I don't even think we can imagine what you offer. Abundant life. Jesus, bring it. In your name we pray, amen.